Father, thankful that we can come uh, into the kingdom of your beloved Son out from the darkness of the world in which we once lived, the, the kingdom that belonged to Satan. And Lord, you are constantly changing our minds and shaping us to be more like Christ. Help us to see the great value of the wisdom that comes from your word. All of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. And in order for us to know you, Father, we need to know the Son. In order to know the Son, we need to know your word. And so help us to know your word and to love it and to respond with faithful obedience. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're following the schedule, we're one week off on, on uh, what we were intending to do tonight because of the cancellation of last week's service. So let me invite you to turn to Psalm number 40. And I decided not to make a revision of a revision for your, for your Wednesday night sermon schedule. Um, so if you um, would be kind to just, uh, to just follow the, uh, the psalm for the week before, what, what we uh, come to do, then that would be helpful. And then we'll come up with a new schedule here when we come to the next series, finish Psalms here in the summer. Psalm number 40. Part of the nature of the Christian life is that we can be delivered from one significant trial and experience the joy and the pleasure and the thankfulness that we have because we've been delivered from that only to be entered into or, or to be um, dropped into another trial. And that's where David finds himself here, that he's being rescued from one trial, he's being delivered from one tra- trial, and then he uh, subsequently has to be protected by God or delivered by God from this next trial. And, and that's the nature of life. We, we can't determine when our trials come and, um, and we have to, to depend on God along the way. This psalm is actually a Thanksgiving psalm uh, where the psalmist here, David, gives gratitude to the Lord for responding to a specific request. Again, the difference between a, a Thanksgiving and a praise psalm is that a Thanksgiving psalm responds or praises God for a specific request, the answering of a specific request. A praise psalm is just praising God in general. So, um, so again, the part of the purpose in skipping over some of the psalms is just to show you some of the types of psalm that you're going to come across. In fact, all the types of psalms. So in this series of studies on the psalms, we're trying to cover all the different types of psalms, and, and Thanksgiving is one of them. So let me read uh, our psalm for us, beginning in verse 1. This is the Word of God. I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me out, up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and He set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust and has not turned to the proud nor to those who lapse into falsehood. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders which you have done and your thoughts toward us. There is none to compare with you. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. Sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. 
I have proclaimed glad tidings of righteousness in the great congregation. Behold, I will not restrain my lips. O Lord, you know. I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great congregation. You, O Lord, will not withhold your compassion from me. Your loving kindness and your truth will continually preserve me. For evils beyond number have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I am not able to see. They are more numerous than the hairs of my head, and my heart has failed me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. Make haste, O Lord, to help me. Let those be ashamed and humiliated together who seek my life to destroy it. Let those be turned back and dishonored who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha! Aha! Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. Since I am afflicted and needy, let the Lord be mindful of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Deliverer, Do not delay, O my God. God's character, our understanding of God's character demands that we respond with praise and service, but also with reliance on Him through prayer. So the first part of the psalm is a focus on God's character and what that should result in, which is praise to God and service for God or service to God, service of others. And then the second part of the psalm shows us that as we come to understand God for who He is, we rely on Him in prayer. And uh, so that's how the psalm will break up. We'll start with the first one here. First, God's character demands my praise and service, verses 1 through 10. God's character demands my praise and service. This is why I think it's a Thanksgiving psalm, because these first 10 verses are all about thanking God for specifically uh, answering a request. First, we see that God is my deliverer in verses 1 through 3. God's character demands my praise. God is my deliverer. David prays here in verse 1, I I waited patiently for the Lord and He inclined... He he inclined to me and heard my cry. David apparently was in a desperate situation as we've seen him many times before. And so he prays to God and waits patiently on God for him to respond. And we don't know how long, maybe days, maybe weeks, maybe years. But, But what David found is that it was worthwhile to wait on God. And and um maybe that's where you're at right now. Maybe you're waiting on God right now to, for Him to answer a specific prayer. Maybe you're in a state of desperation and you're crying out to God for help. What I would encourage you to do on the basis of what David does here and what I think the Holy Spirit wants us to see is that it is worthwhile to wait on God. We may look around and think, well, it, it's been such a long time. He hasn't responded up until now, and so maybe I need to stop praying. But, but we need to faithfully go to God and pray. Call, call for God to act. Uh, ask Him to respond to our needs. Um, so continue to pray in that way. In, in the second part of verse 1, we see that God actually responds to David after he waited. It says that God inclined to me and He heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit, out of the miry clay, and He set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. So, even though David had to wait, eventually God came through. He actually responded to David's request. Notice David's former state. He, he, verse 2, he was in a pit. He was in this miry clay. 
So he's probably not talking about a literal pit here, as you probably imagine, um, that he's not talking about that. I'm sure you understand that, that he was stuck in a physical situation, um, kind of like the, the quicksand or something that, that we used to see growing up um, on TV shows. But the point is that David is in a nearly hopeless situation. And what was God going to do? Well, God picks him up. He gets him out of the miry clay, verse 2, and then he sets his feet on, on a rock, something that's firm. David's in a, in a place of desperation, and God delivers him. Now, it's not clear how David got into this situation. You know, was it because of David's own sin? It, it's going to, he's going to talk about that later. Um, Verse 12, for evils beyond number have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me. So whatever the case is in this first situation in verses 1 through 10, maybe in the second situation it sounds like his sins at least contributed to the problem. But, but what we don't know about the first part is whether or not David kind of uh, brought about some, some of his own self-inflicted wounds or if he was the victim of somebody else's, um, some of, someone else's uh, uh, trouble that they were bringing upon him. Whatever the case is, God is faithful to deliver us. God delivers His people whether we put ourselves into the situation or whether whether someone else did. And what does God's deliverance do? What does God's character, His faithfulness uh, call for? Verse 3, He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. God's deliverance moves us to praise, doesn't it? This is one of the reasons that God loves to rescue us in times of trouble. This is one of the reasons that God loves to answer us after a long period of praying and waiting. It's because it results naturally or supernaturally in public praise. And, and we, we actually think uh, carefully about who God is. We, I think particularly in times of trouble when we've been relieved from trouble or when we're going through trouble for thinking rightly, it actually helps us to think more carefully about who God is and what a great deliverer He is. See, when our feet are always on the rock, we can be thankful in that situation. We should be thankful in that situation. But it's the times in which God pulls us out of the miry clay and puts us on the rock is when we, our hearts really overflow with joy, isn't it? Because we've seen God be faithful to us. We've seen His mercy firsthand. And notice, God receives the glory at the end of verse 3. Many will see, that is, many will see my deliverance and my praise, and they will fear and trust in the Lord. One of the great ripple effects that happens when, when you trust in God by faith and you, you pray to God for deliverance and you see God deliverance, God, God deliver, one of the great ripple effects is that other people see that as well. And it, it causes them to well up with faith. It causes them to grow in faith. So as we publicly praise God for who He is and what He's done, then what happens is other believers grow in faith. They're reminded of who it is that delivers. They're reminded that God is worthy to be called upon. So I would suggest to you, when God delivers you, don't block the work, the work that God is doing by failing to give Him public praise. Now, that may not be in a formal church service 
But but at some point, you should be talking to other people about what God has done to deliver you. It should just be part of the natural outflowing of you and me as we are delivered by God. God is worthy of our praise. He's Because of His character, because of His deliverance, because of His protection, He is also worthy of our trust. In verses 4 and 5, God is worthy of our trust. How blessed is the man, verse 4, who has made the Lord his trust and has not turned to be proud nor to those who lapse into falsehood. One of the things that increases our trust, one of the things that fuels our trust in God, that causes it to grow, is our recognition of others who have trusted in God. And, and so it's good to trust in the Lord. And one of the reasons that you trust in the Lord, while you may or may not recognize it or, or think of it carefully, is that one of the reasons you trust God is because you've seen other believers trust God and find success in trusting God. Now, when I say success, I don't mean freedom from all troubles and lots of financial riches and all that. But what I'm talking about is that they find it worthwhile to actually do this, to put their trust in God. So you, your trust actually grows as you see other people do that. But not only do you learn to trust in God because of watching other people trust God, but, but do you realize that other people learn to trust God because they watch you trust God? How many times have there been people who were kind of on the fence spiritually? Right? They, they were looking for someone to, in whom they could trust. And they looked around in people like us, in myself, and saw, you know, that person doesn't trust God. Or that person hasn't said anything about God's great works or His character. So why should I follow after what, what He's doing? And as a result, they put their trust into something else, else that's not worthy of their trust. And, and I think we bear some responsibility in that way because we have, in some cases, failed to take the works of God and, and make it known in some public way. We can trust God because He is trustworthy. Notice verse 5, we see this, um, His works and His love. Many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders which You have done and your thoughts toward us. So many are your wonders, many are your thoughts. There is none to compare with you. It would, If I would declare and speak of them, your wonders, they would be too numerous to count. So, so here, in, in taking all stock of who God is and what He's done, if we just, just piled up all the great wonders that God had done, it would be too numerous to count. And, and this, this is why idolatry is so offensive to God. Because in terms of what idols can do for a person, right, which is practically nothing, and what God does for a person, for us to put our trust into something that is less than God, that is something other than God, is to say that we don't recognize this great pile of goodness that you have given to us. And, and so... God's wonderful works are, are innumerable. We are unable to count that, that in trying to count them, we, we wouldn't be able to even do so. And so when God delivers, we must respond with praise. I think individually to God, you know, God, thank you for delivering me, taking my feet out of the miry pit, out of, out of the miry uh, clay, 
out of the pit and, and putting them on the solid rock. So individually, but also corporately, we talk to other people about what God has done. We we when have when we have opportunities, we speak publicly about what God has done. And this actually compels or or fuels other people to trust in God as well. That there is a domino effect or a ripple effect to the the powerful and wonderful work of God as we start to take stock of what God has done and we're amazed at it, we tell other people, hey, come on over here and check out what God has done. And and it's not that they don't know the works. It's not that we don't know. It's just sometimes we forget or we get distracted, right? And, and so it's good to publicly praise God. And what that does is it, it raises up more trust and causes people to rely on God more and God works more. And, and guess what? The stack gets higher and higher and, and praise to God increases. And so you have this kind of... Um, exponential growth of, of glory that is ascribed to God's name, which is exactly what should be happening. So God's character demands our, our praise and our service. And then um, God's character demands... That, that was praise. God's character demands my praise. And then God's character demands my service, verses 6 through 10. God is pleased when believers praise Him with obedience. That's what these five verses are about. When we pray and God delivers, then it leads us to praise, but it also leads us to give our lives. And so here we have in verse 6 an expectation of an offering on the basis of what God has given to us. Verse 6, Sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. So we need to talk a little background, a little history here, Old Testament, you probably already know, but but a Jew who wanted to praise God would do so with an offering at the tabernacle. Right? That's what these sacrifice, meal offering, burnt offering, sin offering. There's nothing magical in the sacrifices that that somehow um, wiped away their sin. There wasn't anything magical in them. It's not that sacrifices aren't important. That's not what David's saying. You know, you don't want any of those things. So, you know, we're not going to give them to you. That's not what the Old Testament saint was supposed to learn from this because God was actually the one who demanded the sacrifices, right? They actually would have been sinning against God not to give the sacrifices. So that's not his point either. The point is that God doesn't want the ritual alone, right? It would be like us with some kind, just fill in the blank for any type of, of Christian service that you do, whether that's coming to church, reading your Bible, you know, singing to one another, fill in the blank with any of those things and say, is God pleased when we just do the externals of that? Right? Is God somehow magically assuaged in His wrath when we just do those things on the outside without thinking about them or without it coming from a heart that loves Him? And the answer is no. And the same thing is true about the sacrifices. See, the thing is, God wants all those things. Right? And God wanted the sacrifices. It's just He doesn't want... The, the, the sacrifices to come just as a ritual, as a thoughtless repetition. And, and certainly we can draw some application from that. What God wants is to say, God, listen, here's the gifts that I'm offering you today. So I come to you in worship to you. I'm offering myself. I'm offering all that I have. My, I'm offering my resources. I'm offering my, my mind to you as I come to engage in this task of worship. And that's what God's looking for. 
And the only reason that we can have this relationship, the only reason that we can bring any offering that would be acceptable is because, notice in the middle of verse 6, my ears you have opened. It's because God has initiated the relationship. God is the one who made the way possible for us to come to Him with not only the outward, the external part of worship, but also the internal, both the, the obedience on the external, but also the heart, the proper heart that goes along with it. And we must have the same mindset. God, the only reason I'm here is because you have spoken to me. You have opened up my ears so that I can hear you. I can listen to you and respond in obedience. So, expected offering and then an expectation of glad submission or another way to say that is joyful yieldedness. Glad submission. So God takes pleasure when we do it from our hearts, when we worship from our hearts, not just do it externally. Okay, If you wanted that, you could just get robots. But, but he, he has people that actually have feelings and thoughts He's entered into a relationship, so He wants us to delight in Him, but He also has given us instructions on how to do this. And and this expectation here is one of glad submission. Notice verse 7. Then I said, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book it is written of Me. I delight to do Your will, O My God. Your law is within My heart. So the first part we see in verse 7 is the submission part. He's, He's saying, Here I am. I am... And here I come, I, I, I'm ready for the scroll to be opened up and for me to respond to it. And this is, a basic, uh, this is a basic desire that each of us should have as believers, is to hear from God and be willing to submit ourselves, to yield ourselves to God. It's the, the idea that Isaiah had, remember, when he stood before the exalted Lord and, and all the angels are crying, Holy and God says, who is going to come and who will go for me? And what did Isaiah say? Here am I. Send me. I'm yielding myself to you, God. You are the God of the universe. You are the great King who lives on the throne. And the very least that I can do is to just say, take me. Right? Use me. Have your way with me. As Jesus said, as he was praying in the garden, not my will, but yours be done. But not just a submission, you know, like, okay, bind me up and take me. I'm your slave. Do, do with me whatever you want. Not just that, but, but notice in verse 8 that it's a joyful submission. It says in verse 7, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. So not just a submission to God. I'm, I'm willing to do your will, but but I delight in doing your will. And this is the reason that external conformity is not enough because God wants more than your actions. He wants your heart. Again, God doesn't hate the sacrifices. God doesn't hate the acts of service unless they're done with a heart that's disconnected from those actions and those acts of service. For David, the law, obeying God was his delight, submitting himself to God was his delight. And, and if we are dedicated to do God's will, then we must be willing to, to go back to the Word and mine it for the great treasures that are in it and find out where we need to, to, to refine ourselves or, or actually change, metamor- be metamorphosized by the power of the Spirit. Reflect on the Word, meditate it on it, and obey it.
So expectation of, of offering, an expectation of glad submission, and then thirdly, an expectation of corporate proclamation. Corporate proclamation, verses 9 and 10. Notice what David says here in verse 9. Notice the action verbs. I have proclaimed, then the, last, the next part of the verse, I will not restrain, verse 10, I have not hidden, then the next line, I have spoken, and then the next line, I have not concealed. So here's David saying, listen, I'm going to do all these things. I'm not going to hold my, I'm not going to close my mouth when I do this. And what are, you, what are you going to not close your mouth about, David? Well, let's look at the content of what he's going to say. Verse 9, I have proclaimed glad tidings of righteousness in the great congregation. And verse 10, I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness, your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness. You notice these are all attributes of God. He's saying, God, I, I, I cannot keep my mouth closed about what great attributes you have. And you know where I'm going to do this? Notice um, beginning of verse 9, in the great congregation. Verse 10, at the end of the verse, from the great congregation. I'm not going to conceal it from the great congregation. So he's saying, listen, I have had personal experiences. I don't think mystical, but I've had personal experience where God has entered in and intervened for me and worked on my behalf when I called to Him and I waited on Him. God came. Do you know what that makes me think of? It makes me think of His righteousness and His faithfulness and His loving kindness. And I want the congregation to know about this. I'm not going to hold back my lips. There's an expectation, I think, that God has for us to, to, uh, to offer ourselves and our gifts, but also to gladly submit ourselves to God and then to publicly proclaim what He has done. So, God's character demands our praise and service. second part of the psalm turns from a thanksgiving now to a prayer, because now He's going to have to, to act upon what He knows, what He's already seen God do. He's, he's just been delivered from this recent trial and now he's entering into or dropping, being dropped into another trial and he needs to rely on God and this is what we need to do. God's character demands my reliance on Him through prayer. Again, there's a basis for this in God's character in verse 11. You, O Lord, will not withhold your compassion from me. Your loving kindness and your truth will continually preserve me. So at the front of David's mind, as a new crisis comes into his path, at the front of his mind is the loving kindness, the compassion and the loyal love of the God who has been there for him. And this ought to be the first thought in our heads when a trial comes as well. Can you think of someone who in the Scriptures was presented with a serious trial and, and when faced with such a deep trial, responded with, with, um, with trusting in God. Job, what did Job say? When everything was taken away. Right, later on he said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. But initially, what did he say? The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. See, at the front, he, he's recognizing that God is faithful and just. And, and if we're not preparing ourselves now for when trials come, then we shouldn't be surprised when we fail 
in times of trial. We shouldn't be surprised when our faith is, is failing us, when it's weak, when the trials actually come. We need to prepare ourselves. Now, the best time to prepare for suffering is before we enter it. So that when it comes, we can say something like Job. Or we can say something like David does here. Father, You will not withhold Your compassion from me. I've seen Your loving kindness before. And so I don't know what this is going to look like. I don't know how deep this valley is. I don't know how long it is. But you know what I do know? I do know Your loving kindness. And I count on it. And that's where David is. He's confident in God's truth and His loving kindness. So, God's character leads David to do something, and it is, verses 12 through 17. It shouldn't just stop there. Just, okay, I, I, I acknowledge that you're a good God. It shouldn't just stop there. It should result in our reliance on Him through prayer. In verse 12, we see the need for Him to rely on God because of this new crisis. For evils beyond number have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I'm not able to see. They're more numerous than the hairs of my head. And my heart has failed me. So David was in a desperate state. He was in a pit. He was in a miry clay. And he needed to be rescued from that. He's saying, I'm basically in a very similar situation. That these evils are more numerous than the hairs of my head. These evils are, are, are causing me to doubt whether or not God is good. And yet, when those doubts start to creep in, do you know where he goes? He goes to God. He doesn't allow those doubts to overcome him. He doesn't allow himself to entertain those doubts. But instead, he turns to God and says, God, these evils and these iniquities, and, and I think that, that either has one of two meanings, or I think David means one of two things. One, his iniquities contributed to his trial, okay, which we, we have that happen, right? We, we do something that is against what God clearly told us not to do, and, and we do it anyway, and as a result, we start to experience some of the consequences of our sin. Uh, or it could be that David has been entered into the trial, and now some of these evils and his own iniquities, his wrong thinkings about God, have started to, to um, overtake him in a way that would not be pleasing to God. And whatever the case is, he says, God, I'm going to turn to you. Because these evils are, are more numerous, notice, than the hairs of my head. But do you, know, do you know what the great part about God is? Look at verse 5 again. Remember the wonders that he was talking about? These wonders at the end of the verse were too numerous to count. So while these evils are, are all around and they're weighing him down and shackling him, what he's saying is, God, your ways, your ways are much better. Your wonders are more numerous than I can count. So they have the, the ability to overcome these evils that are, are pulling me away. The need for deliverance and then the prayer for deliverance in verses 13 to 17. Notice how urgent this prayer is. The end of verse 13, Make haste, O Lord, to help me. And then the end of verse 17, Do not delay, O my God. David gives three requests in verses 14 and 15. First, that his enemies be put to shame in verse 14 that they're humiliated apparently they wanted to destroy him and then second that they would be turned back and dishonored David saying I delight to do your will God I'm on your side and they're trying to harm me they're trying to take away my joy and so would you would you cause them to be dishonored 
And then verse 15, that they would be appalled because of their shame. They would have shame come on them and, and that they would experience and know that, what that's like. And then two requests in verse 16 regarding the righteous. He says he prays that the righteous would find satisfaction in God and then that God would find satisfaction in their praise. You see that at the end of verse 16? Let those who love your salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. So I want them, first part of verse 16, to find satisfaction in you, that they find joy in, in turning to you. But I also want you to be magnified because they have turned to you. And so then verse 17, he gives a summary prayer. Since I am afflicted and needy, let the Lord be mindful of me. You are my help, my deliverer. Do not delay. So, so God, be quick to deliver. You are faithful. You are loving and, and kind. You are, are loyally loving to me. You are the God of truth and righteousness and justice. And so come to my aid. So a couple, um, couple thoughts to consider here. Number one. We must offer our whole selves to God. God if God has delivered you, then, then why would you not wholly give yourself to Him? I mean, there's so much in this psalm for which we should praise God. For, for David, he had been delivered from a specific trouble. Well, well, have we ever been there? Has there ever been a specific trouble that we've asked God about for deliverance from that specific trouble and He's delivered us from it? Then, then we are in the same place as David in that we ought to be praising Him. God is the one who's opened our ears so that we could hear His Word. He's given us hearts that delight in His Word. And, and consider this, that God delivers us from our troubles even when they are self-inflicted troubles. So let me just uh, illustrate that. I mentioned that earlier. But, but consider two boys, two brothers. Okay. One, one brother is pushed into a well and unable to get out. No fault of his own. And what would the father do in that situation? Would the father go and if he finds out about the situation, does he go to rescue his son who's pushed into a well? Absolutely he would. What about the other son who at a different time climbs down into the well because he's curious? And he ends up in this trap because of his own fault. Which boy does the father rescue when the boy calls for help? And the answer is that, that he answers both. That's what a loving father does. And, and the point is that God stands ready to rescue you from your trouble if you will just but ask Him. You know, maybe you feel like you're just too deep into the well because of your own fault, right? You, you've, you've climbed down there yourself to try to see what's there and realize that the pleasures of sin are not worthwhile but you're too ashamed to call, up, call out to your father and ask because you know that you are responsible for it. And so maybe you think, I'm going to get out of this on my own. And, and what I want you to, to be encouraged about with regard to how David calls, he says, my iniquities have overtaken me. And so if that means that, that he actually brought about his own trouble he still was willing to humble himself and say, God, please help me. And like a loving father, he will come to your aid. No matter what the trouble was a result of, God is faithful to deliver. He has been faithful before, and if you will pray to him, he will be faithful again. I don't know when that deliverance will come. 
if it will come in this life or the next, but whatever the case is, God loves to respond to His children when they call to Him for help. So offer yourself wholly to God and, and pray to Him for help no matter how you got into to the current situation that you have. Secondly, you must know God. Offering yourself to God in glad, submissions, glad submission requires that you know God. If you want to understand the levels of delight that God has, then you need to know God. Okay? It's just like with your spouse. You, in order for you to know the levels of delight that they have, then you need to know your spouse. Okay? There, there's a difference between how much your wife likes a diamond and she likes a piece of chocolate. Well, maybe there's about the same. Okay, but, but a diamond and, let's say, doing the dishes. Okay? As you come to know that person, you know what they like and what levels of delight they have. And the same thing is true with God. He, he doesn't just delight in everything the same. That's why he says, it's not the burnt offerings, right? It's not the externals. He wants the externals and the heart. He wants the obedience, yes, but He wants the heart along with it. And the only way that we can know what it is that, that God delights in most is when we come to know Him. And, and we need to know Him more. And in order to know God, we need to know His Word. God has revealed Himself to us in His Word. And so I would suggest to you that there are no shortcuts to knowing God. If you want to know God, you have to get into His Word. You have to search it. You have to find out what it is that pleases the Lord. Number three, pray for deliverance from your present crisis. We are not fully saved in the sense that that we have had an initial salvation, but there is a time when our salvation will be fully realized. Right now, we have been freed from the penalty and the power of sin, but there's coming a day when we will be relieved from the presence of sin. So our salvation is still that final transformation. Let's say it that way. That final transformation. There's an initial point of transformation where God brought you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. There's an ongoing transformation that's happening called sanctification. But then there's a final transformation that will happen. Right? That's called glorification. And, and while we await that final transformation, we need to recognize that, that our hearts are, are not perfect and they never will be in this lifetime. And so that what that means is that, that because of the nature of the world in which we live and because of the nature of our own hearts, we will have setbacks. We will have times of trouble. And so it's at, that, at times like these that we need to rely on God and trust that He will deliver us from all of our troubles. Now, maybe, maybe you haven't been in the habit of calling out to God for specific, um, specific requests regarding specific troubles because um, maybe you felt like you've asked for one for a long time and, and you haven't seen it answered or maybe you asked one for a long time and it, you know, it feel, feels like it got worse. What, what you need to recognize is that God is faithful to His people. And, and he longs for people to wait on him and actually trust him because I can tell you my temptation is that, that I like to ask for things, ask for things very specifically in prayer. But then after a few times, do you know what happens to my, my, um, my commitment to praying? It starts to wane. 
that over time I, I say, well, maybe it's not that important. Maybe I need to stop asking. And I think what God wants us to do is say, listen, I am faithful and I want to respond to you, but, but you can't give up so quickly. And so I think we, we need to be, um, don't allow ourselves to go cold to, to whether or not God will deliver. Let's, let's just leave it into His hand. That's why it's important that we gladly submit ourselves, right? That we say, well, God, not my will, but yours. This is what I think ought to be done in this situation. This, is, this person I think needs to be saved and be freed from hell. But, but God, your will has to be done. So pray to God about your present crisis and then praise God in public in the presence of other believers. Whether that be in, in a group of believers that you're talking to over lunch or, or that you send a note to or whatever the case. Whether it be in a public setting. Publicly praise God. And when you do it, it exalts God, one, and it also causes other people to look on and trust God for His for His faithfulness to you. It, it brings this ripple effect, this this um, this domino effect that, that brings more and more praise to God. And that's what we want to see. You have trusted in God before and He didn't fail you. you. You know of specific times in which God was faithful to you. He was loyally loving to you. So remember how worthwhile it is to trust God again. And, and, and put your confidence in Him. He's responded before. He will respond again. All right. Any questions or thoughts on that? Psalm 40.